Hello? Oh, there we go. Okay, so for those who do not know, like Kevin said, I am Telus Nelson. I'm one of the interns here at Lakeview, specifically just when the, within the college ministry. Um, and like Chris and Winston have a couple weeks ago, both gave a sermon. So Kevin has invited me and given me the honor to also do that. So super excited, a little nervous, so stick in with me. But if you have your Bibles, if you go ahead and find Luke 18, we will be in verses 1 through 8. Um, and so we're coming to the final parable, like Kevin said, of the year, and we've been in Luke, um, this section of Luke for quite a while, um, just going through the different parables and whatnot, and so tonight we have a pretty simple sermon, I would say. Um, Luke is very clear of what it means in verse 1, as we'll see. He tells us straight up what it is, what it means, and so um, it's not something that we're going to have to really dig around for, but I think it's something that at times can be very hard to encompass within our entire lives, and so Excited to get into it. Um, the parable is called the parable of the persistent widow um, in my Bible, as I'm sure it's many of yours, but it also is called the parable of the unjust judge, um, which is the other character in the story. And so we'll be looking at both of those, but just to kick it all off, I would love to read it. So Luke 18, one through eight says, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, he will find faith on earth. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time where we can just gather together um, in your name and just come to your word. Um, Lord, we know that this is just a very simple passage. Um, Luke's just going to tell us what it's about. It's just about the prayer that um, should encompass our lives. But Lord, I pray that during this passage, you would just remind us of these simple truths, that you would just allow them to take hold, that you would just allow... Yeah, our lives should just be transformed through it. And so I pray that you, during this time, you would just give me the strength I need to teach and that you would just give us ears to hear what you're trying to say. Let me pray. Amen. So to get us started, I um, just kind of want to look at three main things. Uh, like I said earlier, this is a pretty simple parable. So to begin with, I just want to look at those represented in the parable, um, specifically the two that are the widow and the unjust judge, and kind of dig into them, see what they represent, see, kind of compare and contrast them. Uh, I then want to move on and look at the kind of the promise that the Lord gives at the end, and then I want to close it off with um, finally just looking at how we can apply this to our lives. And so to kind of get into it, uh, we can go ahead and take a look at verse 1. As I mentioned earlier, Luke's going to tell us what this is about. And so we see he says straight up, like he just says that they ought, them a parable to the fact that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And so that's what this parable is going to be about. It's going to be about praying consistently, being persistent in prayer, as we'll see as we go along. And so um, I know Luke, he, he describes to begin with, um, in verse 2, he says there's a certain city where a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And so kind of digging into that, we can see that this is a man who doesn't really care about doing the right thing. He doesn't really care about doing the righteous thing. And he's more than likely looking for how he can benefit out of doing what is good in the eyes of man, whether this is in some way of gaining financial gain um, through powerful people or gaining powered by helping out the right people in those seats of government. And so it's, it's definitely not a man that we would want to be around, not a man that we want to look like. And then kind of on the other side, we see the widow who, widows at that time were um, very, 
minority groups. I, anyways, um, we see the widow. And so throughout the Old Testament, there were many commands that are given to kind of protect these widows. And so Exodus 22, 22 through 23 um, is best stated in a warning. It says, you shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry. So God has called Israel to kind of protect these widows because they were a group of, um, that were very mistreated because they didn't have a lot of power at this time. Their husband often were the ones who um, had the power within, and they didn't have a lot of social status. And so whenever their husband passed away, they were left without a lot of social status, a lot of power, a lot of ability just to kind of speak for themselves. And so they were an extremely vulnerable group, especially if you kind of think back, they were married a lot younger than we were, and so these widows easily could have been our age or younger. So not only were they very young, like I said, they were just without, they were people who had lost their position in society and their natural male protector who God had given them through their husband. And so as a widow, uh, I believe that Christ is using this kind of as a picture of vulnerability, um, that he's using this not as um, a widow specifically, as a picture of vulnerability and one who must rely on someone to kind of help her bring about the just things that she wants to happen. And so I kind of want to take a moment as we, like, have gone through and kind of compared these two, or I guess contrasted these two. I kind of want to take a moment because I feel like it's very easy here to kind of get in our heads of, like, yes, we have this unjust judge who doesn't do the right thing. And it's so easy for us to kind of judge this man and be like, you know, like, why is he like this? Why does he not love the Lord? We don't want to be like him. He's a bad person. And I just kind of want to take a moment and not allow ourselves to get into the head of the idea that we're any better than him, and even so that the widow's any better than him. Um, obviously, no, with it, with, apart from Christ, we, we ourselves are unrighteous. We ourselves have no morals. And so I don't want us to get caught up in this idea that the judge is somehow better than us. Like, we're all part of sinful nature. Um, or we all have a sinful nature. Apart from Christ, we're all sinful. And so I just kind of want to remember that. And I know, like I said earlier, he's probably doing this for financial gain. It's probably his main factor. Um, whenever he helped these people out, he's doing it for the rich and powerful. And so... I know myself, and I'm sure many of us would agree, that there are times where we do the right thing, not because we know it's the right thing, but because it's something to the, we know that somebody's watching us, and we know that, you know, that person's going to turn around and see us do this right thing, and they're going to be like, hey, that's a really cool thing to do. You know, I'm really glad you did that. Or there might be money involved of helping somebody move that, you know, they're, they're like, you're not going to ask for the money, but you know you're going to get some money. So oftentimes, we don't, we don't do this, we don't do a lot of things for the right reasons. And so I don't want us to kind of get on this high hill of, we think we're better than these people because we're not. And specifically, the widows know better than this man apart from Christ. And so I kind of want to stress that. And it's just, it's not the main point of the parable, but I do think it's a really good reminder of we need to be preaching ourselves the gospel or preaching to ourselves the gospel every single day and just reminding ourselves that apart from Christ, we are nothing. And then apart from his death, we are just like this uh, corrupt judge. And so I think that's a really good reminder. But kind of getting back to the story um, and having been introduced to the people involved or yeah, involved in the story, um, the widow and the judge, I kind of want to move back and kind of take a look at the interaction that takes place. And so we look at verse 3, it says, And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. And so we're not given specifically who the adversary is. We're not given what the situation is. But being what her kind of social status was at the time, it was very likely that maybe somebody, you know, wasn't paying her what she deserved or something immoral happened. We're not really sure what happened but we do know that um, she's coming to this judge because she wants justice. And we know that this judge very likely probably had a reputation of being corrupt and being unjust and not loving the Lord. And so the fact that she came to this judge in particular, whenever he more than likely had that reputation, shows us that she had no other option 
You know, she had nowhere else to go. If she had some rich, powerful friend, she would have gone to him. If there was a judge of good standing, she would have gone to him. And so seeing this, seeing that she went to this man who, who is told to be unrighteous, shows us that she had no other option. I think that's really important to see just for later on. But um, we keep reading, and it says, for a while he refused. And so we see that she probably went to this man, or this judge, and was like, I really hope that he gives me what I want, but I, I more than likely know that he's not going to. And so you can kind of just feel the hope that she felt going in and then just kind of feeling the defeat whenever she left. And she had no other option. She had nowhere else to go, or she would have gone there. And it says, um, if we continue on, it says, but afterward, he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect yet, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice. And so she had no other we- no, nothing else to do but to keep going back to him over and over again. That was her only weapon. She had no other options. She could only just keep asking him over and over again. And in verse 5, it says, um, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And so I, I don't believe that this is obviously a fear of physical beatdown, but I do think that he finally just got tired of dealing with her. You know, whenever like a little kid keeps asking, like, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And you're just losing your mind. I feel like that's kind of what he's feeling in that moment of just, I want this to be done. I want this to be done. And so finally he gives in and he says, um, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down. And so he finally gives in. He goes and he executes the command and gives her the justice and the righteousness she had been seeking after. And so um, seeing this, I kind of want to look back to verse 6 through 8, which says, And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And so he's pointing to this and showing that, you know, this unrighteous judge finally gave her the righteousness she wanted. She, he executed this desire of hers that was righteous. And we see that, and the Lord's just pointing out here that, hey, if an unrighteous God, or if an unrighteous judge is willing to give this, how much more will I, as a righteous God who sent my son down to die for you, how much more will I deliver your righteous request? How much more do I desire to give my children all the things that they desire that, that are good for them? And so I think that that's just a really good reminder of, like, Christ came, died for us, and he desires to give us the good, um, righteous things that we desire. And so it's making clear that, like, this wicked judge who is full of sin and immorality, if he would grant this woman her righteous plea simply because she kept asking, how much more would he do it if we continue to ask? And so um, I feel like we just so often will kind of nod our heads to this idea because, like, we know this is true. A lot of us grew up in church. I know I did. I, I heard these truths, and I would 100% agree with it. And so, but, like, how often do we actually play this out? I think it's a really good question in our own lives and something that we should ask ourselves. Um, how often do we see people get away with sin in this world, either against us or against our classmates? Um, how often do we feel like we're treated unfairly by some professor or some person on the street are just are sinned against, and we're just so frustrated because we're like, God, why would you allow this to happen? Why would you allow this whatever happened against me? Why aren't you punishing this person? And why aren't you, you know, bringing me out of this? Why aren't, like, I'm making a righteous request. Why aren't you giving it to me? Um, any desires we have like that are, are so easy to fall into, and we just desire for God to kind of answer our questions and to give us what we want. Um, and I think it's a really good reminder that we heard a couple weeks ago of God does everything, first and foremost, for his own glory. Um, I think that's something that's hard, easy to admit, and hard to truly believe. Um, it's hard to say that we desire that and we want that. But I think it's also a good really reminder here that if we continue on, um, it, it says, Will not God give his justice to the elect who cry to him day and night? And in verse 8 it says, I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. And I think that's a really good reminder because it's a promise here that, that our justice is coming. Um, and he, Christ is not just going to let these people get away with um, these sins of the world. He's not allow anything that goes against us or any sins against us just to be 
um, swept under the rug. You know, there will be a day where he returns and all these people will be punished. Um, and that he is the righteous judge who will pour his wrath on those who do evil. And so we see in this verse that it's speedily. I, um, obviously, we don't view it as speedily because he said this 2,000 years ago. That's not speedily to us. And so I believe that this verse might be better understood as, um, will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones, and will he not be patient with them? And so I believe that this is a good idea because I believe that God is allowing patience to happen because um, he desires all of those that he's chosen, all his elect, to come to him first. And so if Christ return, obviously there are a ton of his elect who will, who will not get the chance to come to know him. And so we obviously know that Christ will return, and that's a promise that we have. Um, and on that day, you know, he will judge those. But first, all that he has elected to come to him and to know him and to spend eternity with him must first come to him. And so I believe that that's why, you know, we're, the Lord is having patience for the sake of those who are to come. And so um, I believe in verse 8 that Christ gives us this one last little, you know, he says, I, I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. And then afterward, he says, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? And I believe that question is, can be easily kind of swept over, but I believe that that is such an important question that we have to ask. Um, whenever I was reading this passage, um, I saw an example of this is kind of a two-sided coin. Um, obviously, on the head side, we have Christ's promise that he will return, and that's, that's sure. There's no way that doesn't happen. If Christ promises it, it will occur. And then on the flip side, we see this verse where it says, like, will he find faith on earth? And so with Luke telling us that the point of this passage is that they ought always to pray and not lose heart, like, that is how we go about having faith. We go about having faith by pursuing Christ and by praying um, consistently and persistently and just continuing to seek after him in prayer and pray without ceasing. And so... Um, I think that that's a super important challenge almost to ourselves is to really look into ourselves and just ask ourselves, is that something that we do? Um, I know it's really easy to wake up in the morning and just kind of say a quick prayer with our quiet time, but is that where it ends? You know, do we, do we continue to pray at meals? That's amazing, but do we also pray other than that? Do we come to God only whenever we're um, in need of something, whenever we have that last minute test and we haven't studied and we're like, Lord, I need a good grade on this. Do we do that? And so do we pray other than that? And so I think that's a really good thing just to kind of um, think about. And so kind of transitioning to that, I, 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 it's very clear here what Christ is trying to teach us. And it's very clear, Luke gives us straight up that he wants us to pray consistently. And so I kind of want to transition to kind of end it just to think about like what, what is prayer? What is prayer really? If we, we talk about we need to pray often, we need to pray consistently, but we don't know what prayer is, then we're not going to be able to do it. We're, this is going to be useless. And so I kind of want to transition to that by introducing a book. This book has been mentioned a lot. We read it in Cripping Groups. It's called Where Prayer Becomes Real. Buy this book, read it, and read it slowly. It will change your prayer life. Um, it has been such a conviction to myself and many others in this room. Um, anybody who does a Cripping Group youth will tell you it is, it is worth the read, and it is worth it um, to read it slowly and to really just examine yourself as you do it. And so... Um, many of us here have, you know, known what prayer was as long as, you know, we've known what angles were, as Kevin said last week. <laughs> and so it's something that we know. And, you know, we, we were, as we grew up, we, we said it at meals. And many of us probably said it before we went to bed during bedtime. You had your bedtime prayer of like, you know, Lord, lay me down to sleep, um, that whole thing. And so we, many of us have known what it is. And so I want us to kind of transition to that and ask ourselves, what does prayer just kind of really look like in our lives right now? Just be brutally honest with ourselves and 
that was something that really convicted me during this preparation of just reading this parable. It's like, you know, is my prayer life where I desire to be? Is it where I think that Christ is calling me to be in verse 8? And so that's questions that I had to wrestle with. And I think there are quite a a few ideas that many of us probably have distorted ideas of what prayer is. Um, Because many of us, I know myself included, were never really taught how to pray or what prayer was supposed to look like. And so I can remember whenever I was younger, you know, just kind of viewing prayer as a shooting star. Like, like I said earlier, whenever you had that test, I can remember, like, middle school going into a Latin test because I took Latin, like, anyways. So <laughs> um, I can remember, like, walking to Latin test and being like, Lord, I didn't study for this, but I really need a good grade. It was like shooting star going by. And I was like, the Lord's got me. I'm good. And then I would get my test back and be like a 35, and I'd be like, Lord, what the heck? Like, what happened? And obviously... Shouldn't be shocked there. You know, that's a naive understanding of what prayer is supposed to be. And so I think even as I grew up, I know that I would come and try to become serious about my prayer life and just try and figure out what it meant to have a prayer life as a Christian. I still had a very confused idea of what it was because so often I would find myself going to God and just, you know, I would confess my sins and then I would sit there and I would try to talk to him and my mind would wonder, and I would just beat myself up, like, you're a Christian, you're supposed to be doing this, why can't you do this? Like, why are you not good at praying whenever you're called to pray? Like, let's figure this out. And I would go there the next day, the same thing would happen. I would start thinking about a hundred different things. I'd be like, what is happening? What is happening? And then on the flip side of it, I would try and justify myself as well while I was there. Like, Lord, I know I did this. Um, sorry about that. Like, I'm, I'm going to do better. I'm going to do better. Like, I promise you, I will be better. And so I had these really distorted views of, like, I had to play a role, and I had to put a mask on whenever I came to the Lord. And obviously, that's just, that's not what the Lord desires. Um, He desires so much more than that. He desires for me just to spend time with Him. Um, And I know we see so many verses in the Bible that are calling us to flee to God whenever we feel temptation coming, when we feel sin come our way. But that's never something that I really desired to do up until I read this book, and it talked about it. It was something that I was ashamed of. I was like, I'm a Christian. You know, I have this new soul inside of me. I'm this new creation. Why am I feeling like all these sinful temptations? You know, like, why am I doing this? I'm supposed to be better than this. I'm supposed to get out of this sin. And so it's like, why would I run to, like, the Lord for that whenever, like, you know, I'm not even supposed to be doing that. And so I had all these just really bad ideas of what prayer was and what it meant to be a Christian. And so reading this book really um, kind of brought all those ideas in front of me. And it really just showed me that, like, a simple truth that, like, we all know but so often forget. And that's that God knows everything. You know, like, God is omnipotent. There's nothing we can hide. And so we try to hide all these sins, and we try to hide all these, um, you know, desires of our heart. And, like, the Lord knows them, and he wants us to talk to him about it. He doesn't want us just to hide these sins away because we're too scared to come before him and tell him that, like, hey, I want these things that, you know, don't align with you. Like, he he wants us to come because he already knows it, and he wants us to come to him and confess that so he can give us power to fight back against that. Um, And so I just, this book really just changed the way that I thought about it because so I got stuck in the idea of, you know, I need to fix this sin so I can go to the Lord and be like, hey, Lord, look at this. I fixed the sin. But he doesn't want that. He wants us to come and confess that, hey, Lord, I want to dive into the sin. I want to dive into this temptation. I desire the things of this world. Lord, I need you in this moment. I need you. I need your spirit inside of me to come out and just give me strength. And um, he wants us to confess that. He wants to, to just, he doesn't want us to justify ourselves. He really wants us just to focus on 
knowing him more in prayer. And so he doesn't want us just to sit there and keep coming to him day after day, like, Lord, I know I did this sin again, but, you know, I'm fixing it today. Today's the last day. He doesn't want that. He wants us to spend time with him, and he wants us just to be open about these things and confess that, hey, apart from you, I, I can't defeat this. Apart from you, I can't do this. I need you in this. Um, if I'm ever to get out of this cycle of endless, I'll be better, I'll be better, I'll be better. Um, and so I feel like many of us um, have this idea that prayer sounds really good as an ideal, but it's just really confusing whenever we get there in reality. And so I really just want to focus on the idea that prayer is not a place to be good. Um, it's a place to be honest. And prayer is not a place to perform, but a place to simply be our true selves. And so it's a chance to come before God as our true selves. And it's a place that through Christ and empowered by the Spirit, we can simply get to know our Father better. Um, you know, Christ died so that we could do that. Christ died so we didn't have to go through a human priest, but we could go through Christ and we could directly talk to the Father. Um, and as we come to them, he doesn't expect anything of us. He doesn't desire anything from us. There's nothing we can give him. Um, all he desires is for our true self. He desires for us to spend time with him and to get to know him. And yes, we're called to get to repent of our sins, but we do not justify ourselves by promising to do better. Um, we simply are called to praise that we might love him more. And as we love him more, we will be transformed to look more like Christ. And uh, we don't need to be angry as our mind wanders. And that was another, that's like the first chapter of this book is the idea of why does my mind wander during prayer? And it's because it, the biggest sentence that kind of dropped on me on that first chapter is what if our wandering mind is not something to be hated, but it's actually a blessing. And um, that was something where I was like, yeah, okay. Like, what does that even look like? And he points out in the book that, like, a wandering mind can so easily show us where our hearts truly are. And they can show us where our treasures actually lie. And so if our mind's constantly wandering to all this school that we have and how stressed we are about it, give that to the Lord. If our wandering mind is constantly, you know, wandering to this money, um, like, how am I going to pay bills next month? Like, give that to the Lord. Start relying on him in that. Say that, hey, this is something I'm struggling with. This is something that's taking up, you know, is an idol in my life, is taking up the place where you should be. Like, give that to the Lord. He wants that. He wants you to give that to him, and he wants to help you through that. And so that's just a big idea of um, what prayer is. And, but for this to occur, we, we have to, for us to see these truths and to understand these truths, um, we have to be able to come out of hiding. We have to stop playing the role. We have to be willing to just to be honest with the Lord. He knows it anyways, so why would we not? Um, he wants us to, and we have to just lay our hearts on the line and just be willing to talk to God about the hard stuff. Um, he wants us to. And so uh, it is through this that we will truly learn to pray. It's through this that prayer will stop being something that we just do to check off a box um, out of our list of, like, I need to pray, read my Bible, go and evangelize. Like, it'll, it'll stop becoming just a checkbox. It'll start becoming a time where we can just intentionally deepen our relationship with him. And it's through that relationship that he molds us to look more like Christ. Um, but none of that can occur if we're not praying. And if we're not praying for long enough for our mind to wander. So I think it's really important for us that if we don't have that designated time set aside um, to at any point just to pray for an extended period of time with the Lord. I, that's something that's so important. That's our time, you know, to get into the word, yes, but also just to sit in silence and just talk with God and listen. Just listen to what he has for us. Allow him to point out those sins in our life that we might not see, those idols in our lives through our wandering mind that we might not see. You know, that brings us back to the charge that Christ has given us, and that is to 
pray without ceasing. And so I, I want to pray us out, and then I want us to do one quick thing, maybe like three to five minutes, just get with two or three people around you and just kind of pray, since that's what this is about. So let's pray.